Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Working Arts Podcast. I'm your host, Erica Martin. Today, we are talking to Debbie Bird. She's an actress working in the London area. We talk about Debbie's former life as a drama teacher, how she transitioned into being a jobbing actress, and her one-woman show about a woman exploring her sexuality after getting divorced in her 50s. Enjoy. I have lived a passionate life. I've sung songs of mourning, of strife. I have won wars with the drum and the fife. So what is your performance background then? Um, training wise, I've been trained, I went and trained at Alra and did my master's. I went there at 48 years old in 2015 and did my uh, post-grad and I've been in the industry for two years. But before that... All my performance work was mainly amateur. I did a couple of professional things. <clears throat> I did a play that was at RADA Studios and I did demonstrating on QVC, sometimes some presenting work, and I did a pilot for a friend who was trying to put something out there, a comedy. Um, so I did all that and I was a drama teacher and a head of performing arts. So I taught in a secondary school mm-hmm. and I taught there for 15 years, but I was an unqualified teacher. And um, they were always trying to help me get a degree so that I could earn the correct amount of money. Um, And this became very difficult to find something that I would want to study in my own time. I did find one. I did it through Rose Bruford, who do an online theatre studies course, which is brilliant. And the people that run it are absolutely marvellous. I really recommend it to anyone. But it's hard working full time. And if you're a performing arts teacher... Or a drama teacher, you will know that your hours are so extended. It's like being a PE teacher. You know, they're always after-school rehearsals. Mm. There are shows to put on. But being performing arts, all their exams were performances. So there was a lot of shows, plus the school productions. So it took its toll on me. Mm. And um, I did the degree. And, I I mean, they looked after me very well because I put the school on the map. And we were getting lots of people come to see us because our productions were so good, which was wonderful for the school. And I was very appreciated and loved, and that's why they they did what they did for me. But two years before I was coming to the end of it, um, my nan died, which was a big thing happened in my life, and sort of a wake-up call. And also I thought, I don't want to be a teacher anymore. I don't want to work in education the way it is at the moment. It's a very sad place to work. There's no money, uh, there's very little appreciation, you're just constantly battered all the time. Yeah. Um, and I thought, I don't want to do this, and I've always wanted to be an actress, and I was never able to do so when I was younger, because of family stuff. Um, and one day my husband said to me, if I said we could downsize and relocate, would you follow your dream and give up this career as a teacher and go and be an actress? And I said, yes, I would. And he said, okay, I'm willing to put the house on the market. Let's do it. So we did. That's amazing. I know. He's my biggest fan. He's wonderful. So, yeah, so we moved to Basingstoke. Uh, he drives, he's a train driver. He drives out of Basingstoke. I went to drama school for 15 months and I'm an actress. That's amazing. It's so important. Like you were saying, you know, that you weren't able to do this before because of family issues. So mm. it's, it's really important to have that support system. Yeah. Because it's, if not, you're just sort of constantly fighting against that as yeah. well as, you know, 
the difficulties within the industry. Yeah. Well, my mum was very supportive. Unfortunately, we had a situation with her, <clears throat> which meant that I had to make some very big decisions at a very young age. Mm. Um, basically, I took a mortgage on at 19. Oh, my God. And that meant I didn't have my dream anymore. I ran my own drama club. I started a drama club at 20 years old every Saturday. I learnt on the job. Um, I wasn't very good when I started. <laughs> um, but the kids loved it, so that was fine. And I ran that for 10 years. So I was living some of my dream in that way. Mm -hmm. And I did some amateur, then I had my children, and I didn't do anything for a long, long time. And then when I was 28, I, uh, a friend of mine who was, had taught me for a while as well... Uh, she invited me to audition for a musical. I'd never sung in public. Um, I got the lead role. I had to have singing lessons. Uh, it was Kiss Me Kate and I was the oh lead. Oh my gosh. And the highest note she hits is an F. Well, believe me, I only just touched that note. Um, <laughs> that was a painful song. Um, but it put me back in and it rekindled my love of performing and what I doused down and said, it doesn't matter, I don't need to do that. Um you know, came back, and as I say, I went off, life changed, and I mm. um, I became a drama teacher, and I did amateur dramatics and all the rest of it, but I never lost the sight that I wanted to be an actress and do this for a job, but I didn't think it would have ever happen, I thought it was just a pipe dream. That's, well, yeah, I suppose you never really know where life's going to take you and these kinds of things. I mean, do you find that, um, that you got a lot of joy out of, you know, helping kids to get oh, into it like totally there must it's have been that. incredibly rewarding yeah. I've taught wonderful wonderful children uh prima donnas believe <laughs> me um drama students are prima donnas but there's nothing like a performing arts student my goodness <laughs> and dealing with egos was the biggest battle I had all day but they were beautiful people loving people and I I was uh, there was a lot of crying when I left from me as well and I missed the children but I'm very lucky I've become friends with them since I've left mm. and they've left school um, I'm friends with a lot of them a lot of them are out there in the industry uh, one of them's been on the West End mm. um, some of them have been in film some of them are still in training one's just become a butlin's red coat she was going to be a hairdresser until I said really with that singing voice <laughs> um, and she stopped and went you really think I've got something went, yeah 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 you have and um yeah, she's, she's been busy working abroad and everything, but she's very thrilled to be a Butlin's Redcoat. So, yeah, it's wonderful. Working with children was very rewarding. The actual job I loved. The hours are crucifying. The paperwork is ridiculous. Mm. Um, and basically a teacher nowadays is expected to be the examiner as well. And yeah. somebody just writes off what you've done. They check you. So you do everything. And the hours are horrific. Um and it took its toll, so much so that when I went back to my school to see their school production, three months after I'd left, and I'd been a term at drama school, they all told me how much younger I looked and how much better I looked, and I said, that's giving up teaching. And the fact that they could see that change in me, that that was all stripped away, the strain. But it still took a long time for that to eke out my system. And also the way it changes you, changes you as a person. Mm -hmm. um, I think as you grow up, and you get older, playing isn't something that's so natural to you. But I think being a teacher, being always in control, that was something I had to battle in drama school. Right. I had to stop being the one that wanted to be in control of everything. Mm. Not a, a controlling, um, you know, somebody telling everyone what to do, but I needed things to be sorted. 
if we've made an idea, that's what we're doing and let's follow it. I found it very hard to be flexible. Um, so that was a steep learning curve. And um, Ali Spiro, who's the head of acting at Alra, where I trained, and that's the Academy of Life and Recorded Arts, mm -hmm. she was fantastic. She noticed it within the first term and broke me in the very nicest of ways. Um, and I just had a ball for the rest of the, the time I was there because suddenly I was playful. And now that's all I want to do. I love it. I, go to, I go to work to play all the time. It's really good. It's, it is very different. I, I mean, I had a similar experience when I went to do drama school because um, my program was just a one-year program and it was meant to be for people who had already worked in the industry yeah. or had worked in other industries. Um, and I had worked in, in the different industry because I was an opera singer before. Oh, wow. And it's so different from straight acting because it's, you know, you cannot prepare in the same way. It's just impossible. And well, opera's bigger. <clears throat> it's, it's big, bigger. but it's also, um, you have to arrive at rehearsal knowing everything. Mm. And you just can't approach no. a play that way. So, um, so yeah, there was me and a couple others who were, you know, 30s or, you know, who had been working for 10 years and then got there and just were like, Oh, okay. So it's quite different from my yeah. background or, for, or, you know, from my experience. And it's, but yeah, that, that element of play is just so important. Yeah, and it's totally. lovely that you were able to find that. Yeah, then. it is. It, and I was with a group of 11 other students who were all still really good friends. And they were very supportive in helping me find that. Hmm. Um, never judged me on my age or anything. I judged myself. A lot yeah. of the things I beat myself up about, you know, wasn't from them. But, um, they helped me. They really taught me how to play and to relax and to chill out. And and I still, I will say to anybody who goes to drama school, you won't actually learn anything about you and your ability until you leave. Mm. You leave with a load of tools that you put into practice in the industry. And I, I play, I'm more playful now. I'm more relaxed now mm -hmm. than I was. I think it was also important. Everything was very intense. Mm. Um, so now I'm enjoying the journey. This saying, it's not about the destination, it's about the journey, is so true. Yeah. And I've come into it so late in life. Of course, there's a destination. I'd like certain things to happen to me. But I've waited so long for the journey, I'm not going to wish it away. So I enjoy every moment, every audition that comes through, uh, the moment when you get the audition call, the when you go and do it. And if you get the job, that's even better. You know, so... I really enjoy my life. I, I wake up happy every single day. I didn't do that when I was a teacher. Oh, gosh. I don't have very many unhappy days. I'm, I'm That's very so lucky. nice. It is. It is great. Oh, I'm so lucky. <laughs> I love it. You look really happy. Yeah, I like, am. That's really nice. I am, yeah. I think about that sometimes as well because I, I, I definitely meet and I get to be sort of this, you know, jaded performer, I think, because I, I, I worry that I'm running out of time and I don't enjoy the journey and I think, you know, I want to get into want to get to a place, you know, where I'm content or I'm financially stable or I'm successful or whatever that means, you know. Um, but I, I I remember having to change my idea of of success when I was at uni the first time around because I thought if my only goal was to like get a job and have money as an artist, you just you won't make it in this well, industry. Like, exactly. Like it's just your idea of success has to be that journey of becoming a better performer, of enjoying the performance, of touching the audience with what yeah. you're doing and those kinds of things. That's the important part, yeah. you know. A lot of the work I've found um, has been immersive work. 
I've discovered I'm very good at that and um, I'm, I'm ex- very experienced in immersive now. And um, that's the, the ability to play <clears throat> is that because you have to be able to improvise mm-hmm. and you have to be able to play with your audience and um, interact with them. Um, it's not giving a performance as such. It, it's that playfulness is mm-hmm. always there. And it's that... Um, spontaneity yeah so where i used to be wanting to know where everything is in its place i'm cool with not knowing i need to know what we're trying to do but yeah as long as i've got a good idea i can banter my way through that i'm good at improvising and um and playing with the audience and enjoying it one of the parts i played i had to i kicked one of the audience out and she (laughs) loved it she tweeted and said it was the best moment ever thank you so much i was awful to her but only the character i was playing but she loved it Absolutely loved it. Is that so? Is that something that you ended up doing after after drama school? Yes. Yeah. yeah. I've had a lot. I've been very lucky since I left drama school. I've had uh, a lot of jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, I am very much a jobbing actor. I'd like to be more of a working actor instead of uh, the low paid stuff. But yeah, uh, immersive stuff. I did a production with some people that I went to drama school with. Um, we created a production called Meeting at Thirty Three. And we took it to Edinburgh. We got five stars and sold out. And we took it to Brighton as well. And that's where I learnt about immersive acting. It was immersive Baton work. Um, It was a marvellous experience. It was hard and I found it very difficult to do. But I'm very grateful to Hannah Samuels, who was the director and writer of that production, for giving me that opportunity because it really broke down any overacting that I might still have had left from my amateur days. Right. Um, and so when I went for auditions for verbatim, I could play the natural person because that's what I'd done for weeks and months on end. Mm. And so, um, yes, and now I, I do end up getting a lot of verbatim work, um, which is fantastic. I love it. It's a, it's a nice job to have, you know. That's awesome. Mm. So you said that you, you're interested in doing like TV and yeah. radio. Mm. What is it about radio that... <clears throat> I love doing different voices. Okay. Um, when I was a kid, I used to do impersonations in the playground. I did a marvellous Frank Spencer and Kate Bush. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm good at changing my voice and playing around with it, and I'd like the opportunity to be able to do that. Um, I adore the archers, but I discovered it from my training at drama school during the radio training. We got asked to listen to it so that we understood what radio drama was. Mm-hmm. Well, that was it. I happened to turn it on the night where anyone who listens to the archers will know the night where ha- Helen stabbed Rob. It was the m- biggest story the archers have ever had, and that's the night I switched on while well, I was hooked. <laughs> so I love the archers. A dream job for radio would be to be in the archers. I'd love it. That's amazing. I've never thought about... Well, I have thought about what it might be like to do that. It does require quite a lot of skill because, mm. yeah, yeah, you do need to make it seem like that's really happening. Yeah. And I, start, I did start listening to um, a program called My First Planet. Mm-hmm. Um, so my old uh, uh, improv teacher wrote that and is in it. Um, and it was on BBC Four Radio or something like that, and it's um, it's so funny, um, but it and I that was like the first sort of experience I had with listening to that kind of stuff, um, especially in this country, because we do have some of that in Canada, but um, 
uh, and it I love just like the little sounds and stuff mm. that they make, but even just little sounds they make with their voices. We're yeah. like, I completely visualize this. It's the silly things like they, they, if you listen to any of the talks that they give, <clears throat> it's um, when they have got to, if the person they're acting has got to stand up, they will make a noise. It's not that they're old and crusty, it's to give the audience the understanding they have just stood up. Yeah. Now we might stand up and not make any noise, but the audience needs you to paint that picture. Mm-hmm. So it is a different skill. Uh, all characterization and vocal warm-ups, all of those things that you learn at drama school all apply to radio, but there's another set of skills that's layered on top of that. Yeah. And I would like the opportunity to do that. I yeah. really would. Um, and I'd like to do voiceover work. Uh, but I, I just get taken in so many different directions. Um, I, I just go where almost where the wind takes me. I'm, I want to try everything, so I do. <laughs> That's good. I think that's really important for for performers. I think that um, the more you can sort of immerse yourself in just a lot of different things, because you can sort of be inspired by anything. Mm -hmm. And it also makes you a better performer if you have that experience. Like, you know, yes, I have been in a musical. And yes, I have done radio. Yes, I have done this. Because it just makes you a more Mm well-rounded performer, right? Yeah. So there you go. Okay. What kind of plays and stuff have you done? Do you enjoy that at all? or? Uh, yes, I love the stage. The stage is my first love, yeah. where I want to be. Um, I've been very lucky and done uh, some Shakespeare, um, which is a passion. Um, I would love to do more of that. Um, I would like to do more full-length plays, but most of the plays that I've had the opportunity to do have been new writing. Right, um, okay. A lot of scratch nights, um, been wonderful I've done some great roles um, I'm very grateful for what I have performed uh, but a lot of the work that I've actually managed to get has been in film short films I've done a feature film um, that's when I went for training one of the things I wanted was help in that area because amdram you don't get taught that yeah um, and I had no experience of it and it's very difficult <laughs> um, and uh the wonderful thing is coming out of drama school, that's the work I've managed to get. And mm-hmm. um, I'm very pleased about that. Yeah. So I do quite a lot of filming uh, and I enjoy that. I would like to do TV. Um, and that's what I would like to get into. I'd like to do some, um, I'd like to be in a good drama or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I, I'm going wherever the wind takes me, the jobs that come along. I, yeah. I pretty much apply for anything if I like the sound of it, um, then I'll go for it. You know, if it's a student film, I'll still still do student films um because if it's a good a good role Mm -hmm. then i see it as oh i could update my showreel with that one Mm -hmm. um so i've and i've worked with some lovely young directors one day those people may well be in a position of power so it's good to work with the young ones as well yeah definitely i think um yeah that's why like places like the you know bossy page and that kind of thing are really Mm -hmm. great for for people who want to network yes and it just um it really allows people to build communities like that where you can, mm. you, you know, you, you, oh, yes, I have worked with this person before or whatever, mm. and they'll always sort of think of you yeah. for things. And, um, yeah, I really think that's probably a, one of the more important things. Did you find leaving drama school and making a transition into, perf- like, you know, jobbing or performing right away, did you find that an easy transition? Yes, I did, surprisingly. Um, I think a lot of the students didn't. I, yeah. think, uh, it's, um, I think if you do a three-year course, it must be harder. But um, I found it quite easy. I got a job two weeks after leaving by a director who'd worked with us. He contacted me and said, um, I have a role for you. Would you do it? Mm. So that was fantastic. 
Um, no, I didn't. I didn't miss drama school. I missed my drama school because I loved my drama school, and I have a very soft spot for Alra, and always will be, always will have. But um, I think it's it's hard to get the go, get it going. You've you told her what to do. You know, joining Mandy. You've joined Spotlight. It, but it was a learning curve and it was an exciting learning curve that I wish I could go back now and write my cover letters as well as I obviously do now because I get work. But, you know, like as I say, it's the journey and I look back and think, great, look how far I've come mm-hmm. that I know now what they want to know. And I've listened to so many people. You should listen to everybody. And um, one of the people that I was at drama school with, <clears throat> she's half my age but she's directed since and she gave me some brilliant advice about how to write a cover letter because she'd worked as a director Mm. and she'd had those uh, cover letters sent to her and she knew now what was needed so you know in this industry you have to listen to everybody because everybody's got something to teach you um and that's I'm very open to that I want to learn from everybody Mm -hmm. um I don't care who you are, how young you are, how much experience you've got. I'm sure you've got something that I could benefit from. And hopefully I can give the same back to those people. And you said about the Bossy uh, Facebook page. <clears throat> Excuse me, that's brilliant. I met someone only last night um, who, talking to her, I said, I know your name. And it turns out it's because I've listened. She's put things up on Bossy and I've commented on it. Um, lovely woman. And, um, you know, hopefully I might get to work with her now because we've made that connection. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah, it's good to make those connections and, and integrate and work with other people. kids both studied with you well drama. <clears throat> they both went to a different secondary school okay. I didn't want them to be with me while I was a teacher I didn't want to have that conflict but I promised them that when they finished year 11 done their GCSEs if they wanted to come to my school to do A levels they could okay um obviously they loved my school they came to all the shows and they were in all day rehearsals all the teachers knew them they knew lots of the students and so they did um Martin my eldest came first of all and absolutely loved it. Um, he was going to go off and study politics, but as part of his A-level, he had to explore the role of an actor. So he went and did a drama school audition and got in. Amazing. Um, he got a foundation place. So I, he came to tell me at the Year 9 Parents' Evening, and I said, so are we taking a gap year? Is this what we're saying? He said, yeah. <laughs> the gap year turned into four years because then he got the three-year course. And um, he has gone off, and he's done loads of shows, pantomimes, and then he went on the cruise ships, five years. He ended up becoming cruise director. Oh, wow. Um, and he's now left the cruise ships because uh, he wants to set up home. 
and uh, he's now um, head of recruitment and training for a big company um, in the entertainment industry. Okay. And the youngest, uh, he followed on as well. Um, they both got A's, by the way. The second one got A star, <laughs> because I have to say that. second one got A star because it only just came in. Um, <laughs> so they did do very, very well. And um, the, the moderator was made to look at their folders because um, I said, I will tell you, this is my son. So you have to check everything I've done just to make sure. So they did very, very well. They're very talented. Um, and again, he's done very, very well. And he wants to become a teacher of performing arts now. He's decided to follow in my footsteps. Oh, okay. He's decided that the uh, industry isn't for him, but he would love to teach. And he's a very, very talented musician. So he'll oh, be a better performing arts teacher than I ever was. That's so interesting, isn't it? Because it just, like, it suits some people and just doesn't suit others. Mm. My parents are the same because they both have the same, well, very similar musical background in some ways, mm. but they're both musicians. But And my dad just, like, adores teaching and has been doing it for so long. And my mom just, yeah. she, you know, she's more of a, she just wants yeah. to perform, basically. I mean, yeah. Well, when Martin went off and did the drama school thing, Scott, in the same place, um, he did some teaching for me. Um, and... I had a terrible time with my students. They wouldn't be quiet. They wouldn't do as they were told. And every week he was pulling his hair out. And I said, this is teaching. This is what it's like. And one day he had a one-to-one with one of the students. And he came to me and he said, I know why you want to, why you love teaching. I said, why? And he said, it's the moment when they get it. And he said, because the student just got it. Suddenly this song came out of him that wasn't there before because... He listened to what I said. I said, yeah, that's teaching. And it's very strange. He still went and trained for four years, but I don't think that ever left him. And, yeah, so that's what he's going to go into. That's um, amazing. It is amazing. Um, but they were amazing children I taught as well, so quite right. <laughs> they, everyone can learn from everybody, can't they? I was going to ask you about your show that you have coming up. Yes. So I've written my own show. It started with my, uh, it was for my MA, I wrote it. We do okay. a PRP at the end um, and we had to create something and I created a show. And I've always meant to, to take it somewhere and do something. And this year, uh, through a wonderful producer called Jamie Eastwood, um, Jamie Eastlake, sorry, I um, booked my show into the Cat's Back in Wandsworth as part of the Wandsworth Fringe. And from that, everything sort of escalated and I've ended up booking myself to go to Edinburgh and developing the show into something that is only a fragment of what it started off. It's now become a wonderful uh, story of a woman called Julie, who's 50. The play is called Buzzing and she is newly divorced and she wants to put the buzz back in her life. And she has just had an erotica party. And this has instilled her to think, well, that's it. I'm going out there. I'm going to make a list of all the men I'm going to shag. <laughs> and so the story begins about her ventures into toys mm-hmm. and sex and talking about what her sex life was like growing up um, as a woman and, um, and what her sex life was like with her husband and problems that she, over- she has come to because of him. Mm. She's not the person that she used to be. And the transition that she makes while approaching Tinder and all other dating sites that she goes on. So she goes on quite a journey. Um, So it's a story of exploration, uh, sexual empowerment, female empowerment. Um, It's funny. 
hopefully it's going to um, be uh, a little tear jerking in, in places. Uh, it does go to some very secret moments for her. So she shares a lot of trauma with them, uh, with the audience. Um, so yes, it's on in Wandsworth. It's on the 11th and 12th of May at the Cat's Back Theatre Pub in Putney. Um, and then it'll have a few more previews around the country. And then I'm taking it to Edinburgh. It's at Q3 in Riddles Court. And that's from the 15th of August to the end of the Fringe on the 26th at oh. 7 o'clock every night. Amazing. So that'll be exciting. Where did the, so where did the idea for this come from? It started from a comedy workshop we did in drama school. Okay. And the person who was giving the workshop... Uh, at the last hour said sit down and you're going to write an eight minute stand-up comedy routine talk about something you know yeah wow. it was quite a lot to ask <laughs> not many in the class enjoyed that I have to say um, and I just sat there and thought what can I write about and years ago I used to be a Tupperware demonstrator but I was also a toy demonstrator for a company that doesn't exist anymore called Foreplay oh man so I used to sell toys and sexy underwear I did a then create my own business where I just sold beautiful underwear um, <laughs> but I did so used to sell the toys and I had a very good banter about all the different toys and stories things that can go wrong stories I picked up from customers and so it was a bit of a stand-up routine every night right. I did this selling and so basically I just talked about sex and an older woman um, my, my uh, drama student friends were very uh, the boys were highly embarrassed because it was like their mum talking about sex. The girls hooted and loved every minute of it. Um, and I just thought, well, there was a response there. So maybe I should develop this for my PRP, which is what I did. So it was actually um, very similar to um, a, a comedian called Claire Dowie. She's written many plays and her, her um, performances are a mixture of stand-up and acting um she sort of coined this area of the market and she's still working now although she's uh, she's older than me bless her she's a great power house of a woman um so the piece very much reflected her style of work okay um so i was telling julie was telling her story and it was a very long monologue but she was picking up all these toys and finding out how they worked and sharing with the audience, putting it on their end of their nose. So there's a bit of participation goes on for the audience. <laughs> um, so it was very, very funny, 25 minutes long, and a very good friend of mine who I think very highly of, um, he's now my director, Mark Farrelly, uh, he said to me, Deb, he said, it's a great piece of work, it's funny, but the people will laugh and go away. Do you want them to forget you or do you want them to remember you? And I said, no, I want them to remember me. I've worked hard. So he said, okay, let's do something. And so he's been the reason I've been able to have the courage to rip apart a play I thought I had and recreate it. So there's parts of the original one are in there. Anything that's about a toy was originally in there. Um, and some of the stories that she tells about her past are from the original piece. But everything else is brand new. Amazing. So, yeah, so I'm very excited about it. I'm very proud of it. And Julie's gorgeous. She's much braver than me in the end. I'm hoping I'm going to, by the end of it, I'm going to be as brave as my Julie. <laughs> oh, that's so nice to hear. Yeah. And I, I want to see this. It sounds amazing. Yeah. Um, right up my street. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. It's, it's funny. It is funny. Please come. <laughs> I will. I will. This sounds amazing. Uh, do you find, um, did you ever think before, like, going to your friend that, that 
that you would need that kind of input yes. on something? Yes, because when I was working on it for my PRP, I had no feedback from anybody. Uh, the yeah. teachers don't help you. You know, they're not going to give you anything. It's, it's meant to be a very independent project. Mm-hmm. Um, the only person that ever saw it run through was uh, a friend of mine who filmed it for me so that I could watch it afterwards. And she watched me do the run before the actual exam um, so that she could get her laughter out of the way, but you can still hear her giggling on the tape. So <laughs> she found it funny an hour later, which is great. Um, so nobody had seen it. And... I, I I knew it was it was lovely, but I didn't know how to develop it further. I had lots of ideas. I knew I had to make it 50 minutes okay. to fit into the time slot I'd been given. And my idea of approaching Mark uh, is because he's a very successful solo performer. He's just performed uh, his production, um, Quentin Crisp, The Naked, Naked Hope, in New York. So he's done very, very well. And I trust him. I trust his work. Um, I know what he can do. So I asked him just to help me to buff this up, really. Mm-hmm. But once he read it, he said, you have got something, and it's more than just this little show in Wandsworth. Um, and when I went to him and said, OK, Edinburgh's knocking at the door. What do you think? Should I do it? And he said, just bite the bullet. Let's do it. So, yeah. And I'm glad because um, he's opened up many doors to me, Um he got me on my feet, he made me improvise things, he made me share my own personal experiences to try and feed Julie mm-hmm. to find out. He made me vulnerable. I needed someone to do that. It's very hard to make yourself vulnerable because yeah. you will automatically put up all your defences. Mm-hmm. When a director does it, it's like they're, they're pushing on the sore points yeah. or they can pick up where they need to push Mm -hmm. and they can watch your reactions to know how to get you to react and um he was very good at doing that and once he showed me that side of what I could be creating and I went back and I wrote what we created the start of my production was so much better than what I already had that then it was easy to say okay I can go with this now Mm -hmm. um and I just I have just written and written and written and we've cut loads of stuff because it's better to have more stuff than not enough um and the hope is that after edinburgh we'll be able to take it on some sort of tour and i'll be able to take it further um even develop it into a longer piece um it needs to be longer than 50 minutes to go on tour so there'll be more development after edinburgh okay so i see edinburgh as not a, a destination i see it as um, um a train stop that i'm going to stay at for a couple of weeks and hopefully have some uh, inside knowledge to develop the piece further to yeah. take it further on I've, and that's I've heard that about about Edinburgh that it just changes the shows that you're doing I have a friend who's they've she and her troupe have gone a couple of times now and uh, the last time they went one of their performers because I think it's four women in her troupe I think one of them was ill and just was not going to be able to so they were she was there for the first like week of the shows and mm-hmm. then was ill and could not do the rest of the shows and they were like Right, so and this is a piece that they wrote and, and devised themselves. We're like, now we have to change it so it's three people and not four people. And they ended up doing it in like an afternoon, and they said it was amazing. Like what they had done with it was was great. Mm. Um, not that it was necessarily like even better, but that it was just it was different, and mm. it was and it really changed the way that they were yeah. performing and the way that they saw the piece because it's like a new way of looking at it, mm. you know. 
Um, especially if you're doing it the same thing, if you're doing it consistently, like every night and you're always going to have a different audience and everyone's so excited about being in Edinburgh yeah. and participating, yeah. it's got to change yeah. the, the performances. Yeah. Well, I've been very lucky as well that um, I'm in another production, so I'm in two productions in Edinburgh, my own and a verbatim piece that I did last year. And you saying about things changing um, for logistical reasons, uh, it was supposed to be two shows under the same company and they've not been able to do it. So it's now going to be one show and we're throwing everything up in the air and seeing where it lands. And the new show is called Love, Sex and Everything in Between. <laughs> and it's with a company called YT2 and we're doing that at The Space. So I shall be performing that late afternoon and then rushing to my venue for seven o'clock. <laughs> wow. So You're going to be a busy, really busy yeah, week. Yeah, I think I'll be resting a bit in September. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. So what's the process like to to get into Edinburgh? Um, well, it's a learning curve at the moment. Okay. I'd like to be able to say, well, you do this and you do that. But I'm, I'm doing things as they fall into my lap. Um, I'm booked with um, PQA Venue, which is the Pauline Quirk Academy. Mm-hmm. And I have to say they have been incredibly helpful um, in giving me advice, telling me what I need to do. Um, so... I found my own venue and I got it booked and then they have booked me into the Edinburgh Fringe. So I've sent them the money and they did a lot of that work. Um, I had to fill in the things that only I could answer, but all the things like how many tickets are on sale, all of that stuff, they completed all those forms for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were also very supportive in creating a poster for me, um, which they did without any charge, which I'm very, very grateful to them for. They were wonderful. Um, so I I feel if you get a supportive venue, that is something that will always help you. And I don't think everybody finds that, but I've been very lucky. Um, they send you um, a timeline so that you know what things you've got to do when. Okay. So it, it, there's things to do in April, there's things to do in May, so that you know what it is you've got to make sure you've ticked off. Mm. Um, so I think it's a case of being organised and trying to get as prepared as you can ahead of the game. Um, but the one thing I would say, the scary thing about it is that you, for me, because it's my show, I've written it, I'm acting in it, I'm producing it, I'm doing the whole thing. Um, I'm grateful I'm not directing myself as well. I've got somebody else telling me that, um, helping me to make sure it's right. But luckily, as I say, again, Mark is very experienced and he's given me a huge insight and um, he's always there to ask questions if I don't know what I'm doing. Having been to Edinburgh and done meeting at 33, I'm grateful that I, I know what it's like to be up there for two weeks. So that is not daunting. Yeah. So when people talk about the Royal Mile, I know what that is. I understand what you do when you fly her, which is the most evil thing to do. And no performer enjoys flyering, but it's a necessary evil. Um, but it's um, it's a lot of money. So at the moment, I'm trying to raise funds. I have a GoFundMe page. Mm. Um, and I'm trying to find sponsors. Um, not having a huge amount of luck with the sponsors at the moment, um, but it would be really lovely if there was a company uh, that wanted to have free advertising with me. Well, it wouldn't be free. They'd give me money, obviously. <laughs> but that would be really lovely. They could have their logo on my posters and flyers, and I could mention them now. They could say their name if only they'd given me their money. Um, so, yes, I'm trying to do that. Um, I think the hardest thing is the fact that I've got to just keep working to pay to get me to Edinburgh. Mm -hmm. And that's hard um, because that money's obviously 
that's gone and the things you would spend that money on usually you can't do um i'm not going to the theater very often uh. but when it's your project you're so passionate about it mm. that um it's my baby so i want to pay to take it so if i have to pay it myself i will so i'm but i'm trying to get as much work as i can acting in other areas to be able to pay for that yeah but i will be going one way or the other i'm going i've, I've booked it now so i've got to pay it Sometimes you just have to make those decisions yep. to just sort of launch yourself forward because yeah. otherwise you just yeah. stand still, don't you? It was one of those situations I, I booked uh, the ones with Fringe, uh, with Jamie, and then Edinburgh, it was like a domino effect. Everything mm. happened so fast. And a friend of mine said, um, you're on the right, you're on the A road. And I said, what does that mean? And she said, when you decide to, you're interested in doing something and everything you do works out, and has a positive outcome you know you're meant to be doing it if you have barriers in your way every single thing you do you're being stopped from doing it so you're not on the right road and I just thought that was a really good bit of advice and I thought well okay everything is ticking off as I do it mm -hmm. so if I'm meant to be doing this I should just trust it and trust in the universe that I'm on the right path and this is meant to be um Absolutely. So, yeah. I, I auditioned for a tour and I didn't get it, but my best friend got it, which was great. And I know now if I had got it, I wouldn't be doing this because I would be on tour right now. Oh, and yeah. I, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now and I wouldn't miss out on what I'm doing now for anything. Now I'm doing it. Scary? Yes. Writing is so scary. So much more scary than acting. <laughs> um, but... I'm so proud of what I've what I'm achieving and um and I love my character that I'm playing and it is really exciting to make your own work mm -hmm. and I really recommend it to anyone make your own work because it is so rewarding yeah um, and to have that control on your process as well mm -hmm. um it's really wonderful but um it's as I say it's scary and you have to be very brave and you have to be very vulnerable all the things they tell you in drama school uh, you really have to you have to go there and yeah that's quite tough at yeah, times it is but it's definitely it, it's always worth it I hope it will be I hope yeah. the audience thinks so Thank you so much, Debbie, for being on the podcast. Um, follow Debbie on Twitter at DebbieBird67. Her show, Buzzing, is on at the Wandsworth Fringe, May 11th and 12th, so get your tickets now. If you'd like to be featured on the podcast or if you know someone who would be great for it, go to theworkingartspodcast.com and you can submit an artist. Follow us on Twitter at The Working Arts. Please subscribe on iTunes and share with your friends and family. We'll see you next time. I want a story others would want to tell to say I ran.